Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 16, very familiar passage of Scripture. I told the preacher a little bit ago, I'm preaching a message tonight that I hate to preach the most. This message takes more out of me than any message that I preach. I believe it's truth from beginning to end. I think our problem, I'm going to be preaching on hell tonight. I think our problem is the disconnect that we have. We, everybody here believes in hell, no doubt. I doubt there's a person here who would say, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe what Jesus said there. I believe everyone here would say, yeah, we believe that. But then realizing what that means to its fullness, because hell is real. And tonight, I hope you'll see the ramifications of that as we get into the message and allow the Spirit of God to deal with your heart about those that are around you, especially family members around you. Let me ask this question. How many here, when you got saved, the main reason you got saved was that you did not want to go to hell? Would you raise your hand up? How many? That was the main reason you got saved. I've got to say, that's about the lowest percentage I've ever seen. I'd say that's probably a little under 50%. Normally, it's between 80 to 90% of the people raise their hands. So that was the reason I trusted Christ as Savior. That was the reason I got saved. I didn't want to die and go to hell. And um, I got saved so I wouldn't go to hell. I learned to love him later. I learned to love him after I got saved. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about those things tonight. Notice in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he might testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I beg you tonight for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. God, I pray you'd help us tonight to understand something about the reality of hell 
And who goes there? Lord, deal with our hearts tonight. Burden our hearts. We have lost family members. We have lost neighbors. We have lost workmates. God, I pray you'd burden our hearts to give them the gospel again that they may know Christ as Savior and receive eternal life. Have your way in all our hearts tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is not going to be an exposition of the passage that I read tonight. And personally, I read this passage, and it's one of those passages where I think alliteration nicens it up way too much. What I want you to do is to think about the reality of this place called hell. We say we believe in hell. After all, we're Bible-believing Christians, but I'm reminded of the story of a few Christians that were gathered together in a group where they worked, and they were talking about how much they believed the Bible. And one of the lost workers that were there came up to him and said, you Christians, you Christians don't believe the Bible. And, of course, the main speaker was a little indignant. He said, well, sure we believe the Bible. He said, no, you don't. You don't believe the Bible. Because with all that the Bible says about hell, if you really believed what the Bible says about hell, you'd be doing everything you could to keep people from going there. And I think that man had a point. The truth is, there's an awful lot that we do that gets kind of tiring to get done and creates a lot of problem. You say, what do you mean? Well, at our church, we do run buses. We bring, on average, probably about 100 big days. We'll get up there to 160, 170. Uh, Most of those are young people, some from down in Huntsville, some in Madison. Uh, But uh, we bring in a number on the buses. But, uh, you know, that costs a lot of money. I mean, we've got a number of vehicles, and it not only costs for the vehicles, it costs for the insurance, it costs really costs for the gas now. And uh, on top of that, it takes so many hours of people out there knocking on doors to try to get young people to come in and then reach their families. And then they have to get to church early in the morning uh, in order to get on the buses, go out, pick people up. And boy, in the summertime in Alabama, going home in the afternoon, that's hot. Those buses don't have air conditioners on them and they don't get back in till about 2.30. I'll tell you what, that makes for a long Sunday. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, our people work to try to reach these boys and girls. But I'm reminded we had a young man, a teenager, came in from Huntsville and one of our men got, young men got burdened for him, won him to Christ on that Sunday morning. It was only about a second time there. That next week, that young man went to another city to be with his father for Christmas time. And during the the two days after Christmas, he was crossing a street in Decatur, Alabama, got hit by a car and killed. Thank God that bus worker was burdened for that young man's soul and won him to Christ. You say, why do you run the buses? Because we believe there's a hell. That's why we run the buses. I'm... I'll tell you what, it's a great burden, and it's a great trial sometimes. I mean, some of those bus kids that come in, most of them have never been in church. I mean, we get them there. It's the first time they've ever come. Their mom and daddy don't take them. They know nothing about God. And I'll tell you what, they run all over the place. We try to keep them corralled, you know. We have a junior church that we put them into uh, where they're all together, and we've got specific bathrooms that they're there to use. But every once in a while, one of them gets out. It was a while back, we had one young boy get out and he came to the bathrooms that were up in the front by the foyer and that little boy went into the men's bathroom and he went in and he went to the stall it was closed and he was peeking in through the little crack there in the door and he said stinking it up in there aren't you buddy that was a visitor that was 
in that stall. Well, we got him and got him back where he was supposed to be. He said, well, why on earth do you do it then with all that trouble? Because we believe there's a hell. At Madison Baptist Church, we've been privileged in the last 33 years. We've had over 40 people that have surrendered to the ministry. And uh, a number of those, most of those have gone to the mission field. Right now we have 26 missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church. I'm not talking about people who came in that we took them on for support. I'm talking about Madison Baptist Church people that have surrendered to the mission field. And of course, when that happens, it's always your best people that go. I've I, Listen, I've told the Lord, Lord, I've got some people I'd like you to send to the mission field, but he never sends those people, you know what I mean? And, uh, and they're your best people. They're your people that are soul winners. They're knocking on doors, doing things all the time. Plus, for those that are out of Madison Baptist Church, we support them for 25% of their support. And that gets them on the field a whole lot quicker. Uh, and then we take care of their needs. We take care of their needs back home while they're gone. We have paperwork, finances, all that that we have to take care of as well. Uh, it takes a lot of man hours, a lot of time. You say, well, why do you do it? We do it because we believe there's a hell. We knock on doors. We pass out tracts. We buy thousands of dollars worth of tracts every year. And we try to get them out throughout our community. Why? Because there's a hell. People that die without Jesus. Let me tell you something. In my hometown of Sturgis, Michigan, I was brought up there. We had the Mormons knock on our door. We had the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on our door. My family was lost. I was lost. Not one time did we have a Bible-believing Christian knock on our door to tell us about Christ. My dad and my mom, they were drunkards. I don't know how many times I rode in the car with my dad out through the uh, country roads there around Sturgis, Michigan. And any time we could have been killed, I don't think one Christian would have shed a tear for us dying and going to hell, because that would have been the case of it. How sad it is. So many Christians don't care. Don't bother me. I'm going to heaven and I'm happy. That's good enough. Well, it's not good enough. God left us here for a reason. We're going to be happier in heaven when we get there than anything that we get down here. Now is the time for us to be reaching people with the gospel. So do you believe there's a hell? I believe there's a hell. And whether you believe it or not, it is real. And everybody who dies without Jesus Christ burns in hell for eternity. Now, in this passage, we see that Jesus says some things about hell. Let me just give you some verses. You can write down the references if you want. We're not going to turn to them throughout the Scripture. But in this passage, Jesus taught in verse 23 that hell is a place of torments. In verse 24, Jesus said that hell is a place where people scream for mercy. It is a place of tormenting flame. Hell is a place where people scream for one drop of water in verse 24, and they're never going to get it. In verse 26, it's a place where there's no escape and there is no rescue. In verse 27, it is a place where people have no rest. Also in verse 27, it's a place where people pray, but they do not get their prayers answered. He prayed for somebody to go back and tell his brothers. Not going to happen. Nobody's rising from the dead to go back and tell others. They've got to receive the message of Scripture. In verse 28, it is a place where those who are there do not want their loved ones to come. Now, in other parts of the Gospels, Jesus said some other things about hell. In Matthew 13 and verse 42, it's a place where people wail. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, it is a place of weeping. Matthew 13 verses 41 and 42, hell 
is a furnace of fire. In Matthew 25, 30, hell is a place of outer darkness. In Matthew 12, 32, it is a place where they can never repent. In Matthew 25, 41, it is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. In Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48, it is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, all of those truths were told by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The reality is he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? He doesn't want people to go there. He died so we could go to heaven and have fellowship with him throughout eternity as he first desired of mankind. But the Bible says a lot more about hell. For instance, in Revelation 20, 14, hell is a lake of fire. In Revelation 20 and verse 1, it is a bottomless pit. In Psalm 11 and verse 6, hell is a horrible tempest. In Isaiah 33 and verse 14, hell is a devouring fire. In Psalm 18 and verse 5, hell is a place of sorrows. In Isaiah 33 and verse 14, it is a place of everlasting burnings. In Revelation 20, verses 11, or 10 and 11, hell is a place of filthiness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, hell is a place of everlasting destruction. According to Jude 13, hell is a place of blackness and darkness forever. In Revelation 21, 8, it is a place where there are liars, adulterers, whoremongers, murderers, thieves, drunkards, and liars. In Revelation 14 and 11, it is a place where the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10, it is a place where they drink the wine of the wrath of God. Hell. What a horrible place. And nobody has to go there. They take Jesus as Savior, but get this. God doesn't make anybody take His Son as their Savior. You have a choice. In Christ, you get eternal life. You can read some of the old books. Back when people were dying before they were all shot up with all kinds of medications like they are today, it's amazing what some of the people saw as they lay dying. For instance, Sir Francis Newport, who was the head of the English Infidel Club, he cried out, You need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one, and that I am in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Skeptic J.H. Huxley, his housekeeper, said of him as he lay dying, the skeptic suddenly looked up at some invisible sight to mortal eyes and staring for a while, whispered at last, so it is true. Too late. The atheist Voltaire cried out, I'm abandoned by God and by man. He said to the doctor, I'll give you half of what I'm worth if you can give me six months of life. The doctor said, you'll not live six weeks. Voltaire cried, then I shall go to hell. His agonies were so great, even his atheist friends were afraid to come by and visit with him. His nurse said, for all the money of Europe, I would never see another atheist die. 
There's a book called Dying Testimonies of the Saved and the Unsaved. That's one of those books that Brother Harrison put out, written back in, I believe, the 1800s. And it gives numbers of examples of people who were dying, that were lost, and how they cried out, and people who were saved, and the blessedness they had seeing Christ come to them, or seeing family members that had died before. But there's a story of a young man in Georgia. He was warned by his parents and others to turn from his wickedness, from his gambling, from his profanity, and he wouldn't do it. He took seriously ill and exclaimed, Oh, drive these devils with their chains away from me. Oh, brother and sister, take warning. Don't come to this hell. The devils are coming. They're dragging me away. And as he cried mightily, he said, Don't come to this hell of woe. This is hell. This is hell. And then his soul departed into everlasting torment. Ah, but you see what they said? That's not scripture. It was scriptural, but it wasn't scripture. We can't always tell for sure what they saw, but I'm going to tell you what, everything Jesus said about hell is real. Everything, all those Bible verses we read, they're they're, uh, true about hell as well. But if you think about the truth of the reality of hell, what the Bible says about hell, then it's also true about who's going there. And God says an awful lot about that in Revelation 20, 14, and 15. He says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and idolaters and sorcerers and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It is true about the only escape. And there is only one escape from hell. And that's to be saved. That's to be born again. Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you get that? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How about the words of Jesus in John chapter 14? Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way. He didn't say a way. He said, I am the way. There's only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now get this, in case people didn't understand what was going on, He says, no man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Now, if you can get to heaven any other way than Jesus, then that would make him either deceived or a liar. And if that would be the case, then nobody trusting him could go to heaven. You see, Jesus, well, I believe there's good in all religions. No, there's sin in all religions. You've got to be born again. You've got to have Christ as your Savior in order to go to heaven. John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John three thirty six, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, the Bible's true about the only escape, and that's Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Peter is preaching, and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 
Well, I was attending Bible college many years ago, my wife to help support us. I was working a job, going to school, pastoring a church that didn't pay me anything. She took a secretarial job at Central Presbyterian Church, which was about three blocks away from Highland Park in Tennessee Temple. As she took that job, they liked to hire the Baptist uh, ladies to work at their church because that way anything they'd hear in the office wouldn't be spread through their church. And if they fired the secretary, it wouldn't split the church. You know what I mean? That's what they like to do. I went down to see my wife after class one day and there was a missionary couple in there. I don't remember the country that they went to. And the subject came up about salvation and only people going to heaven trust Christ as Savior. And I'll never forget the missionary wife speaking up. And she said, well, don't you think that if they've never heard that they'll get to go to heaven? I mean, after all, if, they, if they're ignorant, if they don't know, if they've never heard, I said, well, if that's the case, they don't need a missionary. If that's the case, then the best thing to do would be don't tell anybody. That way everybody'd be ignorant and they could go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, since what the Bible says about hell is true, it's also true about what it says about who's going there. It's also true about the only escape. That's Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It tells us what God did so that we can have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching on Mars Hill, and he says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, that's Jesus, and hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The reality of the coming judgment is this. Christ rose from the dead. That's the warning. Tomb's empty. You better get saved. And the only way to get saved is by the one who died and was buried and rose three days later from the dead. That's it. Now, I know everything I've said, you're sitting there thinking, Amen, I believe that. I believe that. By the way, if you don't believe that, you need to get saved tonight. I mean, that's just Bible. That's just truth about hell. That's the way it is. If you deny that, then you might as well deny everything else in the Scripture. It's not just taught in half a verse, but if it was only taught in half a verse, that'd be enough. Anything God says, he's right about. But now here's where we seem to have trouble making the application. Because in our mind, we relegate the people going, oh, Hitler's in hell, there's no doubt about that. Stalin's in hell. Mao Zedong, he's in hell. There's no doubt about that. John Wayne Gacy, he's in hell, no doubt burning. Those mass murderers and all the, yeah, they're in hell. Oh, those terrible drunkards, they're in hell. We don't have any trouble with that. But do you realize if everything what God says about hell, it doesn't make any difference if a person is the most moral person in the community. If they die without Christ, they burn in hell for eternity. Now, let me tell you how real this is to me. 
When I gave my testimony the other day, I told you I was brought up in a home of drinking and cursing. My, the whole Allison family was that way. I was the first of several generations of Allisons to come to know Christ as my Savior. My uh, grandma and grandpa were from Van Wert, Ohio originally, but before I was born, they'd moved to Sturgis, Michigan, and they took care of a farm just outside of the city. My grandma and grandpa had 11 children. They had seven boys, and they had four girls. Now, the girls had some boys, but my dad, by the way, was the youngest of all of them. So my grandma and grandpa were both up there around 60 or something when I was born. And I was the first actual Allison grandchild because none of the other boys had a boy. They had daughters, but none of them had a boy except my dad. So I want you to know, as far as Grandma and Grandpa Allison were concerned, I hung the moon because I was the one grandson that could carry the name on. As I got old enough, any time I could go out to the farm, I went out to the farm. Usually, of course, when school was going on, I would, um, I would go out there on Friday evening and I'd be picked up by my mom and dad on Sunday evening and so I could be home for school the next day. But my grandma and grandpa, uh, my grandpa and I, we did everything together. I love my grandpa. Man, I'll tell you what, we just had so many different things that we did. When it came time to go get the cows, he had 16 cows, and we get on the old Ford tractor. And, of course, in my real younger days, I'd sit on his knee because my feet wouldn't reach the pedal, and I'd steer the old Ford tractor, and he'd work the pedals. And as we got out in the fields, after going through the barnyard and down the lane, I'd hit that ooga horn, you know, that he had, and the cows would come in. Now, out of those 16 cows... He had one cow that was a black cow. It was not a black Angus cow. It was a black cow. That was the first one that came in to be milked each time. He could milk eight at a time. He didn't have any machines. He was the milking machine. You understand that? I mean, I realize I'm looking to face some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Uh, you think the milk comes in cartons. No, it comes in cows, all right? And so, <laughs> but that first cow, Blackie, uh, but that's what I named it. I'm such a I'm such a witty child. That's what I was, and he let me name it. That was my that was my cow. Now my my grandpa had some stainless steel buckets. He'd milk the cows, take it up to the house, the milk, put it in the strainer, and put it together in the different cans. And then the dairy people come by and pick it up, and they'd take it off to their place. We're talking about back in the 1950s now, so that you kind of understand what's going on. But he also bought a little stainless steel bucket about that big for me. Not for me to milk the cow, but what he would do is when the cows came in, first one being Blackie, I'd be standing there and he'd, he'd fill up my little bucket and tell me to take it up to the house. And so I'd take my bucket with that nice warm, whole, raw cow's milk. And I'd walk out of the barn, and I'd go past the shed, and then I'd kind of sneak in to where my grandpa couldn't see me, never even thinking about the fact that grandma was watching me up there at the house, but I never thought about that. Uh, grandkids aren't all that bright sometimes, you know. And so I'd take that bucket, and I'd scrape the... If you had a bucket of milk, you always had a fly in it. You had to have a fly in it, but they didn't drink much. I'd scoop the fly aside, and then I'd just... Oh, man, that nice, warm cow's... It didn't kill me. I'm 73 years old. I think that's probably the reason I've lived so long, is that nice warm cow's milk. And I'd take it up to the house. Well, Grandma, bless her heart, you know, we'd always have milk, big old glass of milk, have a big old glass of milk. And I'd ask her, I'd say, now is that Blackie's milk? 
I didn't want to drink those other cows' milk. I want to drink Blackie's milk. Oh, yeah, that's Blackie's milk. Grandma made butter by hand, you know. She'd beat that stuff out. And uh, I said, now, is that Blackie's butter? Oh, yeah, that's Blackie's butter. Now, I've gotten older now, and I think Grandma and Grandpa lied to me about some of those things. You know what I mean? But as a kid, I, listen, I love Grandma and Grandpa. I, I believe them. We'd get in a truck to go to Burr Oak, Michigan, to the feed and seed store to get feed for the cows so they'd have something to eat while they were being milked. And, every, and I'd ride with them in the old green Chevrolet truck. We get over there after going to the feed and seed store. We go into the five and dime. Now, I don't know if we have anything close to a five and dime store today, but it was one of those things. Well, I guess maybe kind of like a dollar store, but it would have been a 10 cent store. And every time we go into the five and dime, my grandpa would either buy me some plastic army men to play with or some plastic cowboys and Indians to play with. And then he would buy me, and I hope you're taking notes. I don't want you to get this wrong. I want you to get this exactly right. He would buy me a package of Twizzler strawberry, not cherry, Twizzler strawberry red licorice. Now, you can still buy Twizzler strawberry red licorice in the store. And if you do, don't get cherry. Get strawberry. If you're thinking about bringing it to me, you bring some other nonsense to me. I won't eat it, but I'll eat Twizzler strawberry, red licorice. Well, obviously, like everything else, they were bigger back then and didn't cost near as much. And what I'd do is I'd take that uh, Twizzler, straw, I don't know how many times I'm going to repeat this, Twizzler, strawberry, red licorice, and I'd cut off both ends. I'd eat those. And then I'd stick that nice, long licorice stick into Blackie's milk and... That was my straw. Man, was that good. And you know what? When you got done drinking all your milk, you got to eat the straw. Man, I loved it. We were close. My grandpa and I, we, every place he went, I went. There was not, as far as I was concerned, as a little boy, four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, there was nobody more important in my life than my grandpa. I love my grandpa. My grandpa had smoked all of his life, drunk all of his life. My grandpa had never had anything to do with God. That didn't bother me. I hadn't had anything to do with God either. Uh, my dad told me one day, he said uh, when he was young, matter of fact, later when I tried to witness to my dad, he told me that when he was young, he went to a little country church not too far from where they lived, he went there a couple of Sundays, and on the second Sunday when he got back, the family sat down to eat, and my dad began to tell my grandpa about some things that the preacher had said. And my grandpa said, we're not going to have any blankety-blank preachers in this house. And he forbid my dad to ever go back, and of course my dad didn't. It was 1959, June the 29th. The doctor came out, to the farm to see in on my grandpa. Now, back then, doctors made house calls. And some of you who, well, this isn't the South. I don't know if they ever did it in the North up here, but maybe they did. They made house calls. And he listened to my grandpa, and he said, uh, 
he said, Chuck, you need to come on into the hospital. You need to spend some time there. You've got a problem. Well, he was stubborn. He wasn't going to go. My dad tried to talk him into it. My dad's name was Dewey. And so my dad sent me into, back into Sturgis to our house, and my mama drove me on in, and dad stayed with my grandpa that night. Got to be about 2 o'clock in the morning. My grandpa began to cough, and, and he, couldn't get a, he couldn't get an intake breath. And, man, he was struggling so bad. And he finally said to my dad, he said, Dewey, I, I'm ready to go now. Call the hospital. And my dad went over to the phone. Now, back then, remember, 1959, there were no cell phones. There were no push-button things on any phone. There was no dial on the phone. You picked up the receiver, and you clicked that thing on the phone to try to get the operator's attention. And, and this is Andy Griffith stuff. You know, hey, Sarah, connect me with so-and-so. And somebody back there would do it. Well, my dad, or my, my dad was clicking that phone for 25 minutes, 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if she was asleep or what was going on. But while he was waiting for that operator, my grandpa went out into eternity. The next morning when I got up, they told me my grandpa died. Man, I couldn't believe it. Remember, I didn't know about heaven or hell. I didn't know about any of that stuff. But that's my best buddy. He was the most important person in my life. My heart was broken. We drove all the way over to Van Wert, Ohio for the funeral. And I remember going up to the casket and looking in at the cold face of my grandpa. Man, I'd never seen a dead body before. They sang the songs and they preached and I just sat there and cried my eyes out. Now, there's a lot of things I didn't know then, but let me tell you this. If hell is real, and it is, and if everything God says about hell is true, and it is, that means since June the 29th, 1959, every second of every minute of every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade. As a matter of fact, even right now, as I stand preaching in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, my grandpa is in hell crying out for one drop of water to cool his tongue. And I want you to know that if God would just... Let me, if he would just open up hell for a moment and allow me with all the heat and the agony to put a drop of water on my grandpa's tongue, I'd do it, but I can't. He's in hell. That's the reality of hell. Pastor in Manchester, Tennessee. We had a lady that came to our church. Her name was Jimmy. Her husband's name is Billy. She was saved. He was not. He worked for the Wilson Sporting Goods place over in Tullahoma. Jimmy is a sweet gal. Loved the Lord. Sang in the choir. Go out knocking on doors. Soul winning. Well, she got diabetes. She ended, Diabetes took away her sight. She couldn't see anymore. So what she'd do, she'd come to choir practice. And she'd bring a little tape recorder with her to record it so she could listen to it at home so she'd know when to come in because she couldn't see me leading the singing, couldn't see me waving my arms. And she wanted to get it right. She couldn't just go out and knock on doors anymore, so you 
know that initial three numbers, we didn't do area codes back then, was 721 for there, and she'd dial 721 and just make up numbers. And then she'd talk to people about Jesus. Invite them to church, sweet gal. One night about 10, 10.30, my wife and I had already gone to bed, and we got a telephone call. And it was their daughter. And she said, uh, Preacher, my dad's had a heart attack. They've taken him to the hospital here in Manchester. And my mom's down there. Uh, can you go down there? I said, sure, we'll, we'll get ready. We'll, we'll be down there in just a few moments. And so we got up, got dressed, got in the car, drove down to the hospital. When we walked in to the emergency room part, Jimmy was seated in a chair next to the wall. She couldn't see us, and so I said, Jimmy, it's Pastor and Jan. And she said, oh, preacher. Oh, preacher, Billy's in hell. Billy's in hell! Well, what could I say? That was the truth. He died without Christ. And everybody who dies without Christ burns in hell for eternity. We want to tell ourselves, well, maybe at the last moment they trusted Jesus as Savior. Maybe, that wasn't that way with my grandpa. He had nothing to do with God. There were no soul winners ever knocking on his door to tell him how to get saved. He died that night and went to hell. Billy died that night and he went to hell. And everybody, the sweetest grandma that ever lived, if she's not been born again, when she dies, she goes to hell. That neighbor may be a good neighbor. Maybe he'd give you the shirt off his back. There's a lot of people like that. But if they've not been born again, if they've not taken Christ as Savior, when that heart stops beating, it is to hell that they go. And they do not get out ever. That is the reality of hell. So let me ask you a question then. Are you really a good neighbor? to let your neighbors die and go to hell without warning them. Oh, preacher, well, I'm afraid if I just go to them, I'll scare them away. To where? Hell two? Hell three? Hell four? They're going to hell. Where are you going to scare them to? Oh, they might even get mad at you. They might even dump their garbage in your yard. But I'll tell you this, if they ever get saved, they will come to you and just sing your praises that you cared enough about their lost soul to tell them about Jesus. Are you really good family members? Or let family members die and go to hell without doing all you can to warn them. Hell is real. People are burning in hell right now. And multitudes, most of the people that die today are lost people. You say, well, I don't understand why they don't see it. They don't see it because we act like it's not important. We're willing to let them die and go to hell all around us. We never do anything to warn them. We don't act like they need to get saved today. But the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Let me tell you something. Church is a wonderful place to come. It's for us so that we can grow and then go out and do what we're supposed to do to reach the world. I don't believe God left us around here to learn more about Him, although we should learn more about Him. We're going to learn more about Him that first moment in glory than we're going to, spend, we're going to learn about Him in 10 years of Bible study. We'll see Him face to face. We'll hear His truth completely. You know, down here, we go to church, 
We hear the word of God through men of God, but it's through the filter of sinful men who've been saved. In heaven, we'll see him. We'll see the, all those. I, personally, I'm going to give you a little Alice analogy here. I personally think all those questions that we have that we've said we're going to ask him when we get to heaven, I think the moment we see him, we'll say, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I get it now. Meanwhile, we're here with the great commission given to us. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm going to tell you what, that's why I don't have time for complainers. I don't have time for gossipers. I don't have time for Facebook Christianity. People who sit in international judgment. You get on Facebook, man. People all over the world can see it. Hindus can see it. Cursors can see it. Drunkards can see it. Absolutely amazing what Christians are willing to put on their Facebook. And they'll say they're saved. What a crying shame that we don't have a better testimony than that. We allow our, we allow our friends on Facebook to put curse words on our Facebook page by them respond to something. We don't want people to think we're narrow-minded. Well, I am narrow-minded. i got a narrow-minded God and a narrow-minded Savior. There's only one way to heaven, that's Jesus. i got a narrow-minded book right here. And I believe every word of it. I'd like people to know I'm a Bible-believing Christian. A Bible-living Christian. You know, it's sad. I asked the question that I asked earlier, and most of the time, like I said, 85 to 90% of the time, People say that they got saved because they didn't want to die and go to hell. I was preaching this. Matter of fact, it was the National Sword of the Lord Conference down in Walkertown. This is about 10 years ago. When I got done preaching this, I had a lady come up to me and she said, Brother Allison, we have not heard a message on hell in our church in three years. I had a man come up to me and he said, Preacher, we have not heard a message in our church. These are independent fundamental Baptists. We have not heard a message on hell in over five years. Had another lady come up. She said, we have not heard in our church a message on hell in over seven years. Now, it's not that it was never mentioned at all in the church, but they never heard a message on it in their church. It used to be every revival. Every revival, the evangelists always brought at least one message on hell. Not today. We've become fundamental Joel Osteens. We want everybody to feel good. Well, I got news for you. People dying going to hell ought to give us some kind of anxiety to want to reach them. This isn't a message to make people feel good. It's to get us burned to go out and do something about it. Win some people to Jesus. Power hits the word of prayer. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.